Father Ian Van Dusen here. This is the Art of Living Well podcast, where I just take an opportunity in this audio format to kind of flesh out my thoughts a little bit, go a little bit more in depth, and just kind of have a little bit of a longer conversation around just things I love to talk about. You know, I, I do love this for audio format. It's very forgiving. Uh, it, it's a lot easier than writing an article uh, or writing a book, um, and I hope you guys are enjoying it as well. So what I want to get into today a little bit is yoga. So this is something um, I wrote an article on Christian yoga. I'm going to repeat many of those ideas and kind of address some new things that have come up um, since then. Um, to honestly, I, I, I'm, I'm not really happy with a lot of the co- content that's out there. I think that there's two positions that are equally problematic. One, which is your syncretist position, which is Oh, everything about yoga is great. It's wonderful. You know, um, all paths lead to God. Or just, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there with yoga that's very new agey. And I can understand why people get um, hesitant about that. But I think the other extreme, which is also highly problematic, which is that, you know, if you do a downward dog, like you're going to suddenly be possessed by a demon. Now, the, the first thing we just have to recognize is at this point, most of the postures involved with yoga or found throughout all exercise culture. Um, That's something that I'll I'll get into a little bit more. But I want to kind of first ground our conversation in the broader Catholic tradition of how we understand things. I think a lot of times when people understand non-Catholic or non-Christian religions, uh, they tend to have a view of what's called totally totally depraved or total depravity, which is not a very Catholic notion. So, Total depravity was a Protestant notion, which is outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, all humans are are depraved. That humanity is is not over is not able to live virtuous outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now that's an extreme position. Um, the Catholic Church has often recognized, and from the very beginning, has recognized that there can be found virtue. They can be found. Uh, seeds of truth, to use that line from St. Augustine that Bishop Barron quotes, there can be found seeds of truth in other cultures. So in the early church, this was often understood with Plato and Aristotle and some of the great wisdom that they had. And in our own time, I would say I look at folks like Tim Ferriss or Mark Devine, um, who's, uh, who's into, you know, these guys are into Zen Buddhism, they're into mindfulness, they're into yoga and stuff like that. And, and yes, they are not the fullness of truth, and I, I'm not recommending that people go and, and consume all their content and be led astray, per se. But these are folks similar to the early pagan philosophers and that they have a great amount of virtue. They're what the early Christians would call noble pagans. Uh, pagans not being a bad word, it just means that you're not a Christian. So there's certain nobilities found in other world religions. Of course, our goal in entering into conversations with other religions is to always point back to Jesus Christ. We want to lead all people to that encounter with Christ and to the fullness of truth. The fullness of truth is found within the Catholic Church, and we must always recognize that that's the grounding for our conversation. But within that sense, one of the ideas the early Christians had, um, Gregory the Great gets into this, and Pope Benedict quotes him in his section on the great Christian thinkers, which is that we must be like worker bees, which take the pollen from the flower, take the truth from other religions, and leave the rest of the flower. So there's a lot we can learn from yoga. We, there's a lot we can learn from East Asian religions. Now, of course, it's not to say that it adds anything new to our own religion, but it helps brings out the fullness. So 
what I want to kind of get into a little bit, that's kind of the, the backdrop for the kind of conversation we're going to have, is why is yoga popular? I think there's a few reasons why this is the, the case. I think what we're finding now in Western civilization in general is the importance now of exercise. So did you know people 100 or 1,000 years ago not understand the importance of exercise? Were they ignorant and was darkened or whatever it might be? Now, I, I don't believe that's the case. Um, the difference was when you live in a culture where there's a lot of manual labor, where you're walking to places and you're engaging the body, a lot of the things, the benefits that you find from, say, like a yoga exercise routine or other exercise routines that are similar, you get that range of motion. You get that proper posture because, you know, people who work in the field, you know, they have to make sure that they're swinging things right. They're getting that range of motion when they're swinging the, the hoe or whatever it might be or, or cutting wood or whatever it might be. They're engaging their body. And this principle was found in mon monasticism. One of the parts of a balanced spirituality in Christian monasticism was the idea of manual work and its importance. So I think in our contemporary time, as we've moved away from manual work, we are now having to supplement that by exercise. And for the most part, exercise had been dominated by very vigorous and very rigorous forms of exercise that athletes do. But I think a more gentle exercise can help really build that calm. And that's what people find, that a gentle exercise such as Tai Chi or yoga really does help to deal with stress and to come to a relaxed state. Now, there is some problems with the yoga culture, though. That's that's one of the things. I, I'm not going to recommend to listeners that you go out and hang out at yoga studios because from what I've heard and from what I've gathered as I've research, researched this and a little bit from people I know is that in many of these yoga studios there is clearly a very new age spirituality. They talk about tapping into divine energy or channeling energy and, and things like this. Or, and it kind of can lead down that path of things like Reiki, um, energy healing, and all these different things that are very new agey that really are against the, the, the Catholic Church religion. But yet I think many of folks will find that some kind of stretching, strengthening, range of motion exercise is very good. Now what I do recommend is there's a great exercise protein program that I recommend that's not new age at all, Gold Medal Bodies or GMB Fitness. Um, they give you a lot of great exercise and animal flow, and there's all kinds of neat stuff out there. I think the key would be is really I would recommend that you avoid the yoga studios. So let's kind of get into some of the church documents now. So there's three documents that kind of weigh in our conversation. Um, so a lot of people will say right off the bat, you know, yoga is a uh, Hindu spirituality, therefore it's demonic. It's like, well, let's back off a little second. We got we got to make some kind of further distinctions. First of all, so there's yoga, which is a branch of Hinduism. There's the Yoga Sutras. There's also the exercises of yoga, which I'll get into in a second. Then there's New Age spirituality, and all these things are very distinct. So the Yoga Sutras are are a part of esoteric Hindu spirituality. And they are not compatible with Christian spirituality for a few reasons. One, they're Pelagian. So what do I mean by that? The Yoga Sutras argue that salvation is something that humans earn. So humans attain to perfection through their own efforts, rather than a theology of what we call grace, a theology of God's activity. So you perfect yourself. You, you are the center of your quest and becoming to become more godlike. Another problem with the Yoga Sutras, they advocate for magical powers, that yogis 
will be able to do things like um, uh, have clairvoyance, um, levitate. These are some of the claims that are made in the Yoga Sutras. Now, the question then becomes, well, what are the Yoga Sutras' relationship with the yoga exercises? Well, that's somewhat debated. There's a great book by Mark Singleton called Yoga Body. He argues that the yoga exercises, or what's called asana yoga, was actually a later development. The yoga sutras were the primary thing, which was more of a meditative, um, monastic tradition. And the, the yoga asana was really a response to the exercise culture out of Europe that was then adapted by the Indians sometime around the, the turn of the, the 19th century. So I might be getting a little bit the dates wrong. I'd have to double check the book. But the thing was, was that the yoga exercises are a little bit distinct from the yoga sutras. Um, of course, yoga pr practitioners and the yogis would kind of blend them together because it's a part of their whole spirituality. But I, I think a lot of times what you'll see is in America, you'll see the yoga exercises without a lot of the yoga sutra stuff. Again, the word of caution is not so much that the exercises are problematic. Some people will say, well, in the yoga postures, you're worshiping particular gods. And I, I hate to say it, those people really don't understand exercise. Because like, uh, I was talking with a soldier about this. And the soldier said, she, the person said they had been doing a, a video routine of a yoga routine. And they said, all of the exercises and stretches I did in that routine, I did in the armed forces. And in fact, I've researched the different postures. And you can find them almost in every exercise kind of program. Maybe not in that specific way, in that specific context, but the same basic postures. I mean, they're just good, wholesome stretches. The problem becomes, of course, is that when you go to a yoga studio, and this is where I think you can see where people will say, well, you know, a lot of people are led astray through yoga, is you start to get a lot of new age ideas when you go to the, the studios. Uh, maybe not like if you're doing the P90X uh, workout series, their yoga, they don't really have any of those uh, new age stuff in that routine. Um, but and to be honest with you, as I've researched it, I almost think a lot of it, even what they say is like proper for yoga from what I've seen, it seems like it's more Hindu like superstition versus just authentic exercise. That's why I like gold medal bodies or GMB fitness. They kind of strip away a lot of that. It's not yoga at all, but it gives you that range of motion, that strengthening, that um, that releasing tensions in the body. So the church documents that deal with this, if you're wondering, are Nostra Aetate, Jesus Christ, the bearer of the water of life, and some aspects of Christian meditation. Those are kind of the three documents. Now, of course, within those, Nostra Aetate has primary importance. One of the big things that most people miss on the conversation, Nostra Aetate affirms that whole idea of seeds of truth in other religions, that everything that's good, true, and beautiful in other religions is worthy of admiration, that they're seeds of truth. They, they don't use that phrase in the document. That's from St. Augustine. But it's the same kind of principle. And they praise Hinduism. And of course, Hinduism's got a ton of flaws. We, we don't want people to be Hindu. But it's overall a quest for God. And there's some nobility in it. There's certainly a shared ethics. Now, Christ, Jesus Christ, the bearer of the water of life, gets into the New Age movement. Now, the New Age movement's a little bit different than Hinduism. New Age movement, highly problematic. Um, what it is, is it's a syncretist movement. And I think one of the features of the New Age movement that's getting overlooked in a lot of conversations, even within Catholic circles, is it doesn't have a solid morality, which Hinduism does, which is, I think this is where you start to get into some of the questions of 
demonic possessions and you get into where people really go off the reservation, which is they look for in yoga, and they may even look for it in mindfulness or other forms of meditation, they look for a way to relieve a guilty conscience or to relieve the tension of trauma from their lives. And this can lead down a rabbit hole because really the way to greater freedom is not just through some technique, but through moral conversion. And I really mean that moral conversion. So you renounce sin, like you renounce the path of the enemy. And so a lot of times I think where they see problems is they might see somebody who's doing yoga, but they're still doing drugs and being promiscuous or are doing a whole other host of problematic behaviors. And ultimately, all of these different things they're doing are to, to ad- try to resolve a more fundamental problem, which might be like a trauma. Like, And that's where a lot of times with demonic possessions is there's some kind of primary trauma, like an abusive family or uh, being abused as a child is the classic one. Um, or some like seance or some ritual where somebody you know, gave themselves to Satan or something like that. Um, it's not normally a healthy person who has a healthy family life that they do yoga once and bam, they're possessed. That would be a, a really weird misconception of the whole thing. But often it's somebody who's trying to escape perhaps the trauma of a broken childhood or a broken family. And they, they, they try to escape, instead of addressing it, undergoing that moral conversion, they kind of add on a lot of these practices, they mix it with a new age spirituality, while they're still living fairly immoral lives. That's what I, I think is the case. I, I'd actually be curious to kind of ask some of those questions. So there is a problem with um, a lot of these things, like even mindfulness, I'm a supporter of mindfulness. I'm a supporter of Dr. Gregory Bataro. But the foundation for spiritual freedom, the foundation for happiness is moral conversion, which is you let go of sin. You reform your life according to God's commandments. So a little bit of exercise is always a good thing. But if you're not living in accordance with God's commandments, exercise can be a path to your own damnation. All those things, when they become an escape from having to deal with a guilty conscience, become highly problematic. So the big thing I would say, moving forward, what I would argue is really authentic spirituality, is if you have that moral conversion, if you are committed to being a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have that moral conversion where you renounce sin, you renounce the works of Satan. You're going to confession on a regular basis. You're receiving the Eucharist. You're living in obedience to the church. Exercise, such as stretching and strengthening, can be a great way of being recollected for prayer, for processing your stress. So I I do recommend the gold medal bodies or GMB Fitness. It's just GMB Fitness. They they don't really do the gold medal body things in a lot of their content. But I do recommend some kind of exercise even if it's just as simple as walking and stretching out a little bit, it doesn't have to be super intense. And that's where I think we can learn from yoga is we all need a balanced, holistic life, which involves de- de- regular reading of scripture, regular exercise, strengthening, relieving tensions in our body so that ultimately we can deepen our relationship with the Lord. So let me know what you think. Does this make sense? Is this clear? If you have any questions, please leave a review. Um, Let us know how much you love our work if you do love it. I mean, if you don't, I completely understand. 
I still love you anyways. Uh, we can still, you know, just agree to disagree. But thank you for listening. This has been the Art of Living Well podcast. Have a good day. God bless. Thank you.